Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's sermon podcast. We trust that this podcast is an encouragement to you. If there's any way that we can pray for you, or if you have any questions about Jesus and why we serve him, please email us at info at southsidesbc.org. Again, that's info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, This morning... We are, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, John chapter 5. We have been, we took a break for a couple of weeks, as we did, um, Pastor Brandon preached, and then uh, we was ordained last Sunday, amen? And so um, we are, this morning, going to wrap up the series that we've been doing on examining the claims of Christ. Before we do that, since we are wrapping up this series... What that means is we're going to be starting a new one next week. Yes, we lit the first Advent uh, candle of uh, the Advent wreath this morning, and uh, which signifies the starting of, of Christmas season. And so we're going to begin a Christmas series that I've entitled Prepare Him Room. Uh, we're going to talk about making room in our lives for Christ. And what that means, and how do we do that? How do we prepare our hearts? How do we prepare for um, the Christmas season in the way that we should? And so, um, what a great uh, opportunity, I believe it is, for us not only to come and prepare our hearts, but I guarantee you that everybody in here knows at least one person who also needs to prepare their heart for Jesus. Did you know most people say if they are invited to church, they will come? Um, the problem is we don't invite enough, right? So I'm going to make it easy for you this Christmas season. Um, Mark has done a fabulous job with our uh, with a, uh, kind of graphics for our my Christmas series that we're going to be doing. So we have two things that are out on the welcome table out here. These are door hangers, okay? Um, advertising kind of Christmas here at Southside, if you will. Um, we don't listen. We're just going to do something simple. Here's what I'm going to ask: that every family take ten door hangers. Okay. In fact, if we if we do ten, we're not even going to have enough, are we, Mark? Probably not. That's okay. We want to run out. We want all these to go. And and listen, just in your own neighborhood, take five, ten. Man, if there's more left in the next couple of weeks, take those two. Just. You can invite your neighbors, hang them on their door and run if you want to. I don't care, okay? Um, Yeah, you know, just knock and run. That's okay. And so door hangers, got that. Five, ten ten each family. Just put them around your neighborhood, all right? Man, how simple is that? Also, we have these little bitty cute little cards. They're cute, Mark. They're really kind of cute. Yeah, just really Christmassy looking there. Um, and stuff explains a little bit on the back about our church gives our um, even got a QR code on there right so uh, does that go straight to our south side Christmas page man I'm telling you what we are like we are top notch okay you scan the QR code it goes straight to a Christmas page it tells you everything about what's going on here at south side at Christmas and so um, by the way there's also Laura and I did just a little Christmas promo you can share on Facebook. Mark's that going out today? 
probably tomorrow, okay? When you see that, don't just watch it and say, oh, that's cute. No, share it, okay? We're, what we're wanting to do is give you simple ways and opportunities to share Jesus with those around you. Invite them to church. Get them to come. Bring somebody with you, okay? So these little cards are out there as well. Grab a few. Pick up. Try Give out two. How hard is it to give out two of these a week? Not that hard, right? Hey, I don't know if you have somewhere you're worshiping for Christmas, but we'd love to have you. Boom, there you go. Pretty simple, right? I want to invite you to do that, ask you to do that, and let's share Christ with others, and uh, let's, see, let's see what God might do. Amen? Amen. This morning, we're wrapping up our, 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 our series that we're doing on examining the claims of Christ. Near the end of the 18th century, the Western world first encountered the animal known as the duck-billed platypus. Anybody, y'all heard of a duck-billed platypus, right? Everybody knows nowadays you know what a duck-billed platypus is. The platypus is indigenous to Australia and, as you probably know, has fur over its entire body, is not real big, maybe the size of a rabbit or so, has webbed feet and a duck bill. What makes one of the things that makes the platypus unique is since it lays eggs, it reproduces like a reptile. When the skin of a platypus was first brought to Europe, it was, it was greeted with complete amazement. Was it a mammal or was it a reptile? The platypus seemed so bizarre that despite the physical evidence of the skin and testimony of people who had actually seen this little bitty animal, Many Londoners did not believe that it was a real animal and actually dismissed it as a sham. Kind of like, how many of you have seen a jackalope before? Okay, you've seen a jackalope? Okay, not a real animal, okay? No matter what Mike Edwards might want you to believe, it is not a real animal. Um, but, so most people in London dismissed it as a sham. That's not a real animal, we don't believe that. Not until, unfortunately, a pregnant platypus was shot and brought to London for observers to see with their very own eyes did people begin to believe that it was a real animal. Here's the point. The point is, and the reality is, that many people have a hard time believing in things that they can't see for themselves, right? If I can't touch it, feel it, see it with my own eyes, I have a hard time believing that it's real. In this series, we've been talking about some claims of Jesus that are, for some, a little hard to believe. Jesus, a man who walked the earth, claimed that he was God. He claimed that he and God the Father are one. That he actually didn't, wasn't just born, but, but when he was born, he actually came from heaven. And, and that he's going back to heaven. And, and he also claimed that he is completely equal to God the Father and that he is, in fact, in very nature, God. Those are some pretty remarkable claims. We've been looking at these claims all throughout this series, so I want to encourage you, if you're watching us online, you're watching us here, you've missed any of these, go back and watch them. But when, as Jesus was making these claims, friends, Jesus knew that there were going to be some people who just did not believe or had a hard time believing. Uh, he knew that they just wouldn't believe his testimony. So in verse 31 of John chapter 5, he makes a very curious statement. 
want you to look at the comment that Jesus makes in verse 31. Uh, we looked at the text just before this uh, last time where Jesus is, is making some pretty strong comparisons between his work and the Father's work and what he did and what the Father did and, and just connecting the dots there. And as his claim, he's been claiming that he and the Father are one, that he is God. Verse 31, he says this, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, that sounds like an odd statement, doesn't it? If I bear witness, if I tell you who I am, my witness... I, now, understand that Jesus didn't mean here his, his testimony wasn't true as in it's not accurate. What Jesus said is accurate. Okay? And that, that doesn't fit the context. What he means here is, and what the word probably better translated in this context is, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not valid uh, or is not verifiable. And so here's the thing. Jesus knew that according to the Old Testament law, multiple witnesses were needed in order to um, establish the truth of a matter. Why don't you look at this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. Look at what it says. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. So, way back in the Old Testament, they knew it was part of the law. Listen, you couldn't bring an accusation with just one person. couldn't just bring an accusation. You had to have two or three witnesses. Jesus knew that this was kind of the standard in uh, the court of law in that day. He knew that the religious leaders of the Jews wouldn't just take his word for what he was saying. So, as if in a courtroom, we are now going to enter into a courtroom today, okay? Imagine we are in a courtroom. As if in a courtroom, in our text today... Jesus calls four witnesses to validate his identity, what he's been saying about himself, that he is God, that he and the Father are one to all those who will listen. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Pretend you're in the courtroom. Jesus is bringing before us witnesses to validate the claims of everything that he has been saying and claiming the fact that he and the Father are one, that he is, in fact, God. Let's look at these witnesses together. Number one, Jesus, call your first witness. Call John the Baptist to the stand. Look at, your look at our text this morning in verse 32. Verse 32, Jesus says this. He says, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, some commentators believe here that this is talking about God the Father, uh, that's, I don't believe that's exactly it. Some, uh, did you know that the punctuation and the, um, uh, the capitalization in your Bible is not inspired? <laughs> okay, um, uh, Capitalization oftentimes is put in, in, in by, um, by the translators. And so here there is in the New King James Version an actual, um, an actual kind of interpretation made here that this is referring to God. So in some of your Bibles, it will have he capitalized. I don't believe he's talking here about God. It really doesn't matter, as you're going to see here in just a minute. But I believe Jesus here is referring to what he says next in verse 33. He says, you have sent to John. He's not talking about the apostle John, the one who wrote this gospel. But he's talking about John the Baptist. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Back just a couple of chapters, if you'll turn there with me in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. 
the Jewish leaders, we see, sent a delegation to John the Baptist. Where, where did John the Baptist do most of his stuff? Anybody remember? It's just kind of not, not a specific place, but where? Out in the wilderness, right? John the Baptist was out in the wilderness. He was said to eat locusts and honey, right? And he was baptizing. Jesus went out to him to be baptized by him. We learn at the end of this passage in John chapter 1 that where he is now is um, in Bethabara or Bethany near the Jordan. Um, and so they send, the Jewish leaders send um, some scribes, some Pharisees, uh, some priests, Levites out from Jerusalem to ask John about himself. So, beginning in verse 19, John chapter 1, look at what it says. It says, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So John is doing his thing. They're, who is this guy? Everybody's going out there. There kind of is a lot of hullabaloo about him, right? Y'all know what hullabaloo is? You know that in Arkansas, right? Okay, Texas, you know what hullabaloo is, right? It's just kind of, there's, there's a lot of talk about somebody, okay? So John, in verse 20, says this. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they were wondering if he was the Messiah. John testifies very clearly, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah, he says. So they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now, John was not Elijah. Scripture says accurately that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but he was not Elijah. They then asked, are you the prophet? Which actually refers to Jesus. We're going to look at the text, the verse that um, is talking about this. Uh, he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Then that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John answers him, verse 23, and says this. And in this, he quotes Isaiah 43 to talk about himself. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John makes it very clear. Is he the Messiah? No. He is the one sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, verse 25, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me. That phrase there means it ranks higher than me. Is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. So, John the Baptist here is very intentional. They send a contingent out to ask who he was. He's very intentional to take the attention off of himself and to point it to whom? Jesus. Let's continue. Look down at verse 29. Look what else John says. Verse 29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. So, in case you didn't really catch that before, the next day, John, Jesus is coming out towards him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, can you get any clearer than that? You can't. John here is making clear testimony that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Verse 30 says, This is he of whom I said, After me, comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Man, that's a loaded statement. John here, in that simple statement, and what he says there is talking about Jesus is ranks higher than him. Jesus, uh, what actually existed before him, he's 
throwing in his eternality there. So John here is giving testimony all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. He's talking about his baptism, right? Jesus' baptism. He says, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, verse 34, and testified that this is the Son of God. So here, John chapter 1. The Apostle John wrote this, talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist gives clear testimony to those who came asking that he was not the Messiah, but he was the one sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that Messiah was none other than this man they knew as Jesus. That Jesus was more than a man. That he was greater than John was. And that he was none other, what does he say in verse 34, than the Son of God himself. Now, why does it matter what John said? Why should we care what John the Baptist said? Why did they care what John the Baptist said? I believe there are at least three reasons. Number one, first of all, friends, because John was considered by many of the Jews a prophet himself. Uh, one thing the Pharisees couldn't control is it kind of became popular to go out and be baptized by John. It was a baptism of repentance, and uh, it was in preparation for Christ, calling people to turn from their sins and to the Lord. But John, uh, therefore, was considered a prophet by many, and so his testimony carried significant weight with many of them. Second of all, simply because they asked him. Whether it was out of curiosity, whether it was out of, hey, we just want to know who this guy is, they asked John who he was. Yeah, they asked him about himself, but in the process, um, John gave testimony about Jesus. The Jewish leaders cared enough to send a delegation out to ask John uh, who he was and what, what was going on with him. So they at least ought to give consideration. If you ask somebody when they answer, you at least ought to listen, right? Number three. Third, because at least at one time, they even liked what John had to say. John was so popular, it was, it was kind of becoming, John was talking about prepare ye the way for the Lord, prepare for this Messiah that's coming. And um, that was, they were, people were getting excited about that. They were getting excited about that until Jesus actually came. Look at what Jesus says back in John chapter 5. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, Yet I do not receive testimony from man. In other words, Jesus certainly didn't depend upon human testimony to prove who he was. He says, But I say these things that you may be saved. I give you the testimony of John because you have thought of him highly. Look at verse 35. He says this. He says, He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. There was a time at which they rejoiced in what John had to say. Before Jesus came, John was preaching the baptism of repentance. He was preaching the Messiah is coming, and they were excited about that until Jesus came. And, and Jesus wasn't exactly what they were expecting. Here they were expecting a knight in shining armor to come and overthrow the Roman government and all of that. And Jesus came overturning the money tables and, and pointing out their hypocrisy. <laughs> they kind of changed their minds. About, they didn't like what John had to say then. But Jesus says, well, listen, you listened to him. You liked him for a time. John, 
testified about me, and they should have listened. Because what was John? John was a forerunner. He was one to give testimony and point others to Jesus. He was, he was like the herald who announces the king's entrance. Hey, prepare ye the way for the king. He was, he was the song that plays before the bride comes down the aisle, right? Dun, 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 dun. What do you do right then? Everybody stands up, right? Here comes the bride. He was, he was the opening act who knows they are not the headliner. He was the announcer who introduces the starting lineup. And in our text this morning, he was Jesus' first witness. John, you may step down. Jesus, call your next witness. Number two, the second witness we see here, Jesus gives us in our text, witnessing to who he was and his deity. Actually, it's witnesses, okay? Um, there are multiple of them. They are Jesus' miracles. The second witness or witnesses that Jesus calls to the stand are his miracles. Look at verse 36. Verse 36, Jesus says this. He says, But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do. Now, was Jesus done doing miracles when he said this? Not yet. <laughs> That's why he says it that way. The works that the Father's given me to finish, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Friends, think about all the miracles that Jesus did. Turning water into wine, cleansing lepers, uh, healing the, those who were paralyzed, walking on water, healing blindness, healing an epileptic, call it, calming the storm, calming the waves, casting out demons, casting out unclean spirits, healing many physical infirmities, raising Lazarus from the dead, multiplying loaves and fish into, for multitude, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Think about that. Who can do those types of things unless it's either a trick or they have supernatural powers? And the reality is Jesus did many of those things, most of those things, more than once. And the very people that Jesus was appealing to were eyewitnesses of these things. Many of them were witnesses of his miracles themselves. Uh, or they knew someone personally who had witnessed them. So they had to decide, was it a trick? Were his miracles a trick? When they saw, was it a trick? Or was it real? Was this a miracle? And if so, then what does that say about this guy? How many of you, um, how many grew up watching David Copperfield specials? Anybody other than me? Okay, some of you. For those of you who are less than probably 20 or 30 years old, how many of you have no idea who David Copperfield is? Okay, a few of you. All right. How many of you have heard of somebody, about, I don't know a lot about this guy, David Blaine, okay, street musician. You heard of him, Mark? Okay, there we go. Um, David Copperfield, I believe still, is still around, right? I believe he's got a got a, something in Vegas where he does shows and things like that. I'm not positive about that. But for those of you who don't know, David Copperfield was a magician. He was not just a magician. He was kind of the magician of 30, 40 years ago, right? Um, you know, you had Harry Houdini and went a bunch of years, and then David Copperfield. Um, 
David Copperfield did outlandish magic tricks. He had a TV special usually every year, I think for about 20 years running. And on this TV special, he would do all sorts of magic tricks. But David Copperfield was kind of known for, for uh, big magic tricks, big illusions. In fact, one year uh, he did where he made a jet airplane disappear in front of a live audience. Anybody remember that? Uh, one time he... He made, or not didn't make, he, he, he made it look like he walked through the wall of China. Came out on the other side. In fact, probably his best known um, magic trick or best known illusion was when he made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Remember that? I see a few of you nodding your heads on that. I remember as a kid being amazed by these things. Knowing that it was an illusion, knowing that it wasn't real, but not really knowing how in the world did he do that. You know, the, the, to this day, they say the, 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 the audience wasn't in on it. How, so how did, he make it look, how did he make it look like it wasn't there when all of us know that it's really there, right? And he didn't do some kind of, you know, uh, make it uh, disintegrate and then come back. And so how did he do those things? How did he walk through the wall of China? How did he make that airplane disappear all of a sudden? Some people look at that, and they look at Jesus. And some people say about that Jesus was just an illusionist like David Copperfield. Or that Jesus was just an illusionist, a, a magician like David Blaine. Oh yeah, well there's guys today who can do stuff like what Jesus did. David, look at David Copperfield, look at Houdini, look at David Blaine, some of these street music, all those kind of things. They do some things that, man, how in the world do they do? They're, they're just doing magic and so forth. And, and Jesus was just like them. Well, friends, here's what those people who believe those kind of things are co conveniently forgetting. Let me point out just a couple of things to you. Number one, first of all, friends, they are conveniently forgetting that when the man who was blind from birth all of a sudden could see, he could give testimony to that. And that was a, that was a, it wasn't a trick. It wasn't where Jesus made something disappear. Jesus actually healed a physical infirmity. When those whom everyone knew were paralyzed or lame or an epileptic or lepers or, or even dead, all of a sudden weren't anymore, that's more than just a trick. Amen? It's more than just a trick. Jesus is demonstrating power uh, that, is, that is supernatural. He is demonstrating power that is beyond this world. Now, I understand that many people say that those things can really happen, you know, unless it Unless it can, can, confines to the laws of science, you know what, Pastor? I don't believe it can happen it's outside of that. Friends, a miracle by definition doesn't adhere to the laws of science. And yes, you can make, decide in your own mind that, you know, I'm not going to believe that there are miracles. Miracles. But Jesus points to his miracles. You have to look at what, what the Bible testifies and what, what, what Jesus claimed about himself and what we think Jesus is. So here's the thing I want to challenge you with. Make sure that your conclusions are logically consistent. Many people want to believe one thing about Jesus, that he was a good man, but they want to believe that he was not God. You cannot, as we've talked about, do that. Jesus, the claims that Jesus makes, as we've talked about, uh, are, are either true or crazy or or, 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 or he's just a pathological liar. And so we have to look at these things. Jesus here is calling, and really to us, but more so us than the, the, the eyewitnesses of those things. Uh, Jesus says, look at John chapter 10 here. John chapter 10, verse uh, 37 and 38. Can you throw that? There you go. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, 
If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I know you don't believe me, but you've seen what I've done. All of these things. Listen, and those works, those miracles that Jesus did give testimony to who he is. That he has an ability beyond trickery or beyond illusion. That he actually has and had supernatural powers. John chapter 9. The man who was born blind, whom Jesus healed and gave sight, testifies this. This is the man who was born blind saying this. He said, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Now, I don't know what all modern medicine can do, but I know there is amazing things through medicine that can do that, that we can, you know, heal sight and some of those things and and through uh, cochlear implants make people hear and so forth. But that is not the same as Jesus laying his hands on someone and healing them. Okay? Here's what the man who was blind, who now can, who could see, said in verse 33, said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Friends, there is no doubt that if Jesus's miracles actually happened and were actually true, that they give amazing, strong testimony that Jesus was not only from God, but that he had the powers of God and that he himself was God in the flesh. And remember, friends, this is just one of the many witnesses. Amen? Even the four that Jesus gives us today, we could go on and on talking about proofs of, of his resurrection and, and, and more testimony and why we should believe, friends. But this is just one of four witnesses Jesus brings before us this morning. And when you add this witness, his miracles, alongside these others of John the Baptist and the other two that we're getting ready to look at. No, I'm not giving to you quite yet. It makes a very strong case that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did what the Bible says he did. Amen? Next witness. Jesus calling your next witness to the stand. Jesus calls God the Father. Look at verse 37. Jesus says in verse 37 this, he says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Now, I know a lot of people today would like to say something along the lines of, listen, if if somebody really came from God, if God really came, then why didn't God tell us that? Why didn't he testify? Guess what? He did. He did. People just don't want to believe. Some don't even know this. Or maybe you've never even really thought about it like this. But God the Father actually verbally, verbally testified that Jesus was who he said he was two times. Let's look at these together. First of all, at Jesus' baptism. Turn over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Hearing pages flipping. Some of you, I'm hearing hearing phones scrolling. Give me a minute. Okay. I know it's on the screen. So let me just comment while we're going here. I know it's on the screen. Perfectly fine for you to look at the screen and so forth. But listen, um, I would encourage you to bring your Bible, flip through your Bible and stuff. It does good to help us learn our Bible. Amen? Verse 16. You say, well, Pastor, I don't need to learn my Bible. You know, I don't know. Books of the, learning the books of the Bible today, does it help you? You know, absolutely it helps, right? Awana leaders, 
Absolutely. We need to know God's word. Anyway, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, look at what it says. It says, when he had been baptized, talking about Jesus, it says Jesus came up immediately from the water. So here, it's at Jesus' baptism. What's being talked about? It says, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. A voice came from heaven, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here, we don't think we we know exactly how many were at Jesus' baptism, but here they were to hear this testimony. That's not it. The second time was at his transfiguration. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, something similar happens. Here Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So there weren't, there weren't a lot of people with this here. It's just Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And he was transfigured before them. It says, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking to them. And Peter, what did Peter do? Peter was one of those guys who spoke before he thought, didn't he? Right? He was just very boisterous. He was very outgoing. And so Peter said, hey, Jesus, listen, Moses, Elijah, you're here. Let's, let's, let's make an altar. Let's worship you guys. and Let's do all this and stuff, whatever. And man, Peter was just really on fire. And that was, that was fine. It was good. But verse 5 says this, while he, Peter, was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And it says, when the disciples heard that, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. <laughs> you think? You should turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter talks about this in his letter. This, this testimony stuck with Peter. Can you imagine um, being able to hear the voice of Almighty God? I mean, they walked with Jesus, yes, but I'm sure in their mind, you know, Jesus asked them multiple times, do you believe? Do you believe that I am he? And they would say, yes, 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 we believe, we believe, we believe. But listen, you want to talk about verification, that was it, amen? Hearing a voice from heaven. Look how, look at what Peter testifies, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says this, he says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I think this is very interesting here to read this because what do people say that the bible is what do people say that the stories of the scripture are the stories about jesus that they're just made up stories and made up fables right peter says we're not follow made up fables but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from god the father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased Verse 18, Peter says, And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Friends, Peter testifies here in 2 Peter chapter 1 as clear as day that God the Father actually confirmed Jesus' identity actually confirmed that this was his son, that Jesus was the son of God, and Peter heard that. You want to talk about calling witnesses, what a great witness, amen? You know, many people say, as God is my witness, guess what? God is his witness. When you actually have God as your witness, friends, that's a witness. 
Now, I know, and I believe Jesus knew, that some still would not believe. I want you to look at, turn back to John chapter 5 and look at what Jesus says back in uh, the last part of verse 37. Jesus says this. He says, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Talking about the Father. So here he says that the Father has testified to him, but you've never, talking to, to those, those Pharisees, religious leaders, you've neither heard his voice. I believe, in other words, I believe what Jesus is saying here is, I know you don't believe me because you haven't heard him and you haven't seen him. But look at what he says in verse 38. But he tells them why. He says, but you do not have the word abiding in you because whom he sent, talking about himself, he says, him you do not believe. In other words, or the implication here is that if you would believe, then God the Father would give you confirmation of the truth. Now, some people don't like what I'm about to tell you, or they say, well, this is kind of roundabout logic, or this is circular reasoning and those kind of things, but it's true. So I need to share it with you. Many of you already know this. But the reality is that many people struggle with believing. They say, is this really true? Is it not true? Is, is all this stuff that the Bible says about Jesus? And some of you think, well, pastor, you know what? Most people here today are, have been Christians for a long time, and, and they've, we've settled this matter a long, long time ago. Have you? You know what I found? The reason many Christians don't serve the Lord more faithfully, they're not more um, committed than they are, and they're just kind of lackadaisical Christians. Because they kind of believe and they think they believe because that's what they grew up believing. That's what they were told. That's what their parents told them. And they say, yeah, I kind of believe. But they're not convinced in their soul. Friends, because when you're convinced in your soul, you can serve no other. You can worship no other. Your life, you know why you will, all, you will be saved and, and that salvation is secure? Because there is no going anywhere else. You know there's not. And so here's the confirmation that God promises us. He promises us that when we trust Christ as our Savior, when you invite Jesus and say yes to Jesus, yes, I receive you as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in your heart and in your life. And here's why that's significant. And then that the Holy Spirit confirms with your spirit that everything you, want, you thought you weren't sure about, that all of that is absolutely true. You know, I am more convinced today than ever that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. I am more convinced today than I was the day I got saved when I was nine years old. In fact, I'm more convinced today than the day God called me into ministry. And the more we study God's word, friends, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit illuminates his word to us. And we begin to see Jesus on the pages of scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And God confirms all of this in us. Um, it's kind of like buying something that you're hesitant about. Like, guys, I know you've seen that commercial for that new tool, and you're thinking, man, should I buy it? Should I not? You know, um, ladies, I know it's hard to buy for your man at Christmas time because if he just wants something, what does he do? He goes out and gets it, right? So you buy him underwear or socks or a tie or something like that, and he smiles and says, yeah, that's awesome, that's great, you know. But the reality is, if he wants something, he's going to go out and get it. That's just how we guys work. But guys, you've had that tool that you've been looking at, and you've been trying to decide, is it really the greatest thing since sliced bread or not? 
Ladies, you've got that beauty product that you've been looking at. You know, maybe it's a new cream that says it'll make you look 10 years younger. Maybe it's a hairstyling something that straightens your hair or curls your hair or squares your hair or whatever. I don't know. But, but that's that, that thing that you're saying, you know what, maybe it's just... Uh, it says it'll do all this stuff, and you're kind of trying to decide, right? You want it. Guys, you want that tool. Ladies, you want that. But you're hesitant. You're not sure if you'll like it or not. Well, friends, here's the deal. You can read all the reviews you want to do. How many of you have ever read a bunch of reviews online about something, and you're more confused about the product after you read the reviews than you are when you started? Amen, okay? Where I am most of the time. And so, you know, you do all that. And so, listen. Guys, it's just like that other tool you bought. Ladies, it's just like that other beauty product you bought. You know, that, that now you love. You know that thing that you bought that now you think, you know what? Man, I'm so glad I bought that. I'm so, that tool, you know, guys, you know, you, I, mean, I use this all the time. I use this one, this project, this project. I don't know what I would do without it. You know, that new thing, whatever. Listen, um, how, how are you going to know? You won't know unless you try it, right? Well, here's the deal. God promises that when we buy it, when we believe in him and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart and in your life and that his spirit confirms with your spirit that he is who he said he is, that you're now a child of God and that all of this is true. So that's why I can say that I am more convinced now than I was ever before, even when I got saved, that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. Because it is the Word of God and God's Spirit, which He's placed in me, gives me that confirmation. If you're out there, maybe you're watching us online and you're thinking, man, you know, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I, I want to trust Christ and I, I want to believe that He was who He said He was, whatever. I'm just not sure about that. Listen, you're gonna, you just need to take that step. I don't know anybody who's genuinely gotten saved who, is, who has ever regretted that. Yeah, I understand there are those who or deconstructing their faith, you know what? They were never really saved. They never really understood the depth of their sin and the magnitude of Christ's love on the cross that he paid out for us. Friends, listen, as Peter said, where else shall we go? Amen? Why don't you look at John chapter 5? First John chapter 5, excuse me. We're in John chapter 5. John writes a couple letters. Chapter 5, thank you. I don't know who did that. 1 John chapter 5. Those of you online, we just heard somebody's phone, and that's okay. 1 John chapter 5. It's a small book. I know. I'm trying to get there as well. Here we are. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. John writes this. John the Apostle says, he says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. The witness of God is greater than men. Amen? For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. Okay? So when you're saved, the witness, God, God the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you. And you now have the witness in yourself that confirms that everything you weren't sure about is absolutely true. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, right? By definition, if you don't believe God, you believe he is lying. A lot of people say, well, you know, I try to be close to God, but I don't really believe all that. No, you're not close to God when you call him a liar. 
because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Verse 11, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. That's God's testimony. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have what? Life. That's his testimony. That's the testimony of God the Father. And a surefire promise of his. The question is, will you receive his testimony? Will you believe him? We looked at three witnesses already. We've seen the witness of John the Baptist. We've seen the witness of Jesus' miracles. We've seen the witness of God the Father. One more witness Jesus calls to the stand, and it is the Holy Scriptures himself. Look at verse 30. Whoop, got to get back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we are in verse 39. Verse 39, as Jesus is speaking here, primarily at this point to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who, um, who thought they were spiritual. Look what Jesus says to them. He says, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. What did the Pharisees and the Sadducees do, and, and the scribes and all of them? Um, they searched the Scriptures. They were people of the book, they said, and they... Um, they parsed the scriptures, they listed out all the laws that were given to them by the scriptures, and you know what? They added regulations to the regulations and laws that were in scripture that would hopefully help them keep the regulations and laws that were in scripture. So they had over 600, I believe, some odd laws and regulations that they were supposed to follow, and they couldn't break these laws and so forth. And so Jesus was saying here, you search the scriptures, you think you know the scriptures, but guess what? Look at what he says. He says, I'm sorry, and you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. He says, but you've missed the main point. Listen, you search the Scriptures, and you've got all these laws that you're following, and this, that, but you missed the point, guys. All the Scriptures, the Old Testament is what he's primarily talking about here. The Old Testament, he says, points to me. Jesus says in all those Scriptures, what they really should be looking for and seeing is him. You know, Moses, Moses spoke about Jesus. The Pentateuch speaks about Jesus. The prophets speak about Jesus. The whole Old Testament speaks about Jesus. What is the Old Testament for? Listen, you know, a lot many people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is so different from the God of the New Testament. Not really. It's the same God. Okay? Yeah, at times there are different things emphasized. They emphasize his holiness and his justice. Yes, absolutely. But we need to understand Jesus is holy and just just as well. It's the same God. Um, and so we need to understand that the Old Testament is pointing to him. Why don't you look at this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. I just want to give you a couple of examples here. Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses writes this. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you. This is the verse that they thought applied to John the Baptist. Actually, New Testament makes it clear it applies to Jesus. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. To the serpent in the garden. The first proclamation of the gospel is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It is when God proclaims judgment to the serpent for what he had did in allowing Satan to enter into him and trick Eve in the garden of Eden. And look at what he says to the serpent. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. 
He's talking about between the serpent, the devil, and Eve, and between your seed and her seed, okay? Between the devil's offspring and her offspring, which is us, okay, human beings, but specifically pointing to the offspring from us. Remember, it's, it's talking about Jesus. It says, he shall bruise your head, fatal blow, and you shall bruise his heel. Devil thought it was a fatal blow, but it was not. Amen? At the cross. Here, the first proclamation of the gospel. Friends, it is from Genesis all the way to Revelation, points to Jesus. Matt Carter, pastor and author, says that you can boil down the whole Old Testament to two main themes. And when we start looking at it as something like this, um, I think it makes things a lot clearer. He says you can boil the whole Old Testament down to two main themes. Here's the first theme he says of the Old Testament. It is that man is hopelessly rebellious, sinful, and unable to save himself. Think about it. Starting all the way back with Adam and Eve, what did they do? They disobeyed God, right? They wanted to do things their way. They listened to the serpent, and they ate from the tree which God told them not to, and sin entered the world, and thus we have all the problems we have today. You go down the line, right? Abraham and Sarai didn't wait on God. They took things into their own hands. Talk about the Israelites and all their disobedience in the wilderness. Talk about God having to exile the Jews from the land because of their idolatry. Even the human heroes that they had um, were deeply flawed. Noah, as great of a man as he was, what did he do? After, after, After the flood, he got drunk. Okay? Uh, and, and some other bad things. Uh, what happened? What about Moses? He killed an Egyptian. What about David? Committed adultery and murder. Friends, the, the whole, one of the greatest themes throughout the whole Old Testament is that man is hopelessly lost. Here's the second theme of the Old Testament, he says, and that is that God will send a Savior. Throughout all the stories throughout the Old Testament, real genuine stories, they aren't made-up stories, they're real stories, real life. Even though they were flawed all throughout the Old Testament, God always sends somebody to save and rescue Israel. He sent Joseph to rescue them from the famine. He sent Moses to rescue them from Egypt. He sent Joshua to rescue them from the wilderness and take them into the promised land. He sent all the judges right, as a rescuer, to rescue them from situations that they got themselves into and disobedience and things in that. He sent Boaz to rescue Ruth and Naomi. He sent Esther to rescue all of Israel. He sent Nehemiah to rescue Israel and to rescue Jerusalem. He sent uh, King David as the forerunner to Christ, if you will. God always sent someone to rescue them. If you look throughout the Old Testament, friends, but even through all of that, as we read the Old Testament, there's always a greater one promised. Somebody is promised that will come and be God's, God's promised one, God's anointed one, God's ultimate Savior. He was foreseen in the Old Testament, as we saw, as the promised seed. He was foreseen in the Old Testament as the Lion of Judah, as the Passover Lamb, as the Suffering Servant, as the Son of Man, as the Messiah. And we can go on and on and on with titles and names of Christ from the Old Testament that talk about Him. It's the whole our sacrificial system was to prepare us to understand the sacrifice that Christ gave for us on the cross. Friends, the point is for all of that and all of the scriptures that Jesus calls to witness is this, that, that they all point to him. That they all point to him. 
It gives testimony to who he is. As Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. It is all leading up to what we're going to celebrate here in just about a month. Wow. Friends, and then when you add on top of that the New Testament and the testimony that we have in the New Testament, it just adds on more and more testimony that it becomes very, very difficult to say, I'm just going to dismiss this and live my life however I want to live it. What a cast of witnesses Jesus has presented. And when you think about these witnesses, each and every one of them give a strong case in and of themselves. Think about the witness of John the Baptist. Think about the witness of, the, uh, of his miracles. Think about the witness from God the Father. Think about the witness of the Scriptures. Each and every one of them bring a strong case in and of themselves. But friends, when you put them all together, that's a formidable case of witnesses that Jesus was and is exactly who he said he is, the Son of God, God Almighty, God in the flesh. The question becomes, what will you do with this testimony of witnesses. I want to close with a story that um, legend has it that one night in the late 1950s, Little Thompson's Restaurant or Steakhouse in Memphis, Tennessee decided to hold an Elvis Presley impersonator contest. It was a place that Elvis uh, used to frequent often himself before he was famous. So when he heard about this, the, this contest, guess what? He decided to show up. However, unbelievably, this night, since there were quite a few Elvis lookalikes there also, guess what? Nobody recognized him. So he decided to have a little fun. He decided that he would take part in the contest himself. Unbeknownst to anybody else, he went in, sat quietly in the back, and leaned over and said to someone else, he said, I'm going to smash this. Should, right? The owner, who knew he was there, uh, he knew, uh, was worried that the place would go crazy once everybody realized who he really was. However, as it turned out, nothing of the sort actually took place. Because when it came his turn, Elvis got up, sang one of his most famous songs ever, Love Me Tender. The audience applauded politely. And Elvis came in third in the Elvis impersonator contest. Talk about missing the boat, amen? They missed the real thing when he was standing right in front of them. How about you? How many people have missed the real Jesus when he is right in front of us? How about you? You believe he is who he said he is? You believe he did what he said he did? You believe he is the Son of God who stepped out of heaven, who came to earth and lived a sinless life, who gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins of the human race. 
That is Romans 10, 9 says, if we will confess with our mouth Jesus as our Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Friends, it's as simple as that. It's the simplest, hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Have you trusted him as your Savior? Let's pray. Friend, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online and you've never, never trusted Christ as your Savior. But today you say, Pastor, you know what? I do believe. I believe Jesus was who he said he is. I believe that he did that for me. So today, would you, would you invite him into your life? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave and have the power to give me new life. Jesus, please come into my life. Take over. Take control. I turn today from my sin and I surrender my heart and my life fully and completely. Friends, God says, and the Bible says, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nothing magical about the words, but it is the desire of your heart to turn from your sin and to call on Christ as your Savior. God hears that prayer, and He answers, and you become a child of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You've been just kind of limping through life. Here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. Friends, if, if Jesus really was who he said he was, doesn't he deserve all of your worship? Doesn't he deserve priority in our lives? Say, well, Pastor, I don't know that I can give this up. I like doing things my way, whatever. Friends, listen. Jesus says, he who wants to gain, keep his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will actually gain it. Would you today surrender your life to Christ? I know it's scary. I know it is difficult. But it's the best thing ever. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts. We love you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.